0: Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca, and you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Jennifer Bett Meyer and Melissa dern Connor, the founders of JBC Communications, Jennifer Bett Communications. They are known for their incredible roster of mostly direct to consumer brands. And the way they approach PR is very, very different from how it's been typically done for the last, I don't know, 50 years. And so they've really shaken up the market and introduced a way of treating a brand as a product versus just the product a brand makes, which has been really exciting to see. And I'm also really proud to call them co-founders of Wide Awake, the female founders day we did together. So take a listen to hear about what it's like to... Totally disrupt the PR industry. Today, my guests are one I've known for maybe over 10 years. I would say like 12 to 14. 12 to 14. And one other cohort that I've known for less time than that. But I feel like we we forged a bond during our International Women's Day event. Uh, Jenny Bett and Melissa from JBC. Welcome. Thank Thanks you so much. <laughs> So I would love to start a little bit. I don't always do the background, you know, from birth to now,
1: but we did meet 14 years ago Mm -hmm. when we tried to get you to do our PR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was at Starworks. Um, I had just launched the PR division there and I don't remember how we met. It was through Brie. It was through Brie. Shout out to Brie. Um, And I came over and I just thought you were awesome. And I met your business partner at the time or um, president. And you had this bag line. And I remember just trying to figure out how I could work with you so I could get free bags. That was all I really (laughs) cared about. Um, Uh. And for some reason or another, it didn't work out. But we kind of stayed friends. Um, And I feel like through the years of me doing various PR jobs, in-house agency, you've always just kept coming up as, well, look at what Rebecca Minkoff is doing and see how you can do something like that. Um, And every client I've had has been like, just looking at your marketing plans and your digital marketing plans and how you've embraced tech early on and try to kind of emulate it in some way. So you've been this like voice in the back of my head in a very positive way. And then that kind of annoying, like, how can we do what she's doing way um, over, I would say, the past 10 years up until now. And so what is now? What did you start and why? So about five years ago now, Melissa and I essentially saw a massive void in PR agency world, which is agencies just weren't adapting to address the needs of startups and these kind of cool, innovative brands. Um, and they were really focusing on this old school, traditional way of media relations. And Melissa and I got together. And uh, ha- she, How did you meet? At Star Wars. At Star Wars. Okay. And I interviewed there and
2: I met with her and I was like, oh, I'm so excited to work with Jen. And I started. And two weeks later, she said she had resigned. So I was like, that's really great. Okay. Bye.
1: But but Melissa was like 26 at the time. And I just said to myself, this girl is a rock star. And it was kind of rare that you meet 26-year-old PR rock stars. So I said to myself, I don't know how, but I'll figure out a way to get this girl back to me. Um, And then fast forward 10 years or so, I had heard through the grapevine, she was consulting and freelancing. And put two and two together, and really without very much, not even like a real business conversation, we decided we were going to do this together. Wow.
2: I think it was just a moment where we both independent of each other, realized we were so bored with PR and the way, the traditional way of doing it in New York. And for me, I looked back at all the brands I had worked with in the past, and I was like, when would I? When I, was I the most inspired? And it was with brands like Tom's when I launched them when I was a baby publicist, or even brands like Roxy, where there's deeper... More meaningful storytelling around their swim, their Olympic surf teams, and it wasn't just about the product. So that's when I said, "There are brands out there that have more storytelling and and deeper narratives, and no one's really telling them. So how do I find the brands that are going to inspire me in that way again?" And that's and literally when that kind of revelation was happening is when Jen and I reconnected, and we kind of started doing what we do.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I also think. What we were seeing is there was a lot of women launching brands, and they were constantly being compared to these startups run by men, you know, the Warby Parker of or the Casper of. And those brands are fantastic. But we wanted to, you know, shine a light on these women-owned brands and these women founders in their own unique way. So, you know, to this day, I think 85 to 90% of our roster is actually female-run brands, which is super exciting for us as a female-run brand ourselves. So we kind of linked up five years ago and and started JBC and had no idea if people were going to respond to it because it's a very kind of unconventional way of doing PR. And it takes a little bit more time and creativity and energy and our approach is very different. And fast forward to now, you know, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary and we still we still don't hate each other. So That is wonderful. Yeah, it really nice.
2: More than that, we're five years old, but we have the best team. Everyone says like, what are you the most proud of? It's not... I love our clients and they're unbelievable that they believe in us and want to be our partner. But when I look around the room and say these people have chosen out of any place in New York City to work, to work with us, I feel immensely proud because they're unbelievably talented. They're so smart. And I think they're of the best in the business. So I think our team, that's been the hardest thing to put together. But when we look at it, that's what I'm, I'm the most proud of. In addition to obviously working with Jen, but also and also our amazing roster. But these people are unreal.
1: Yeah. And it's also a team of um, our entire senior and executive team are women. Which is great.
0: So you have a great team, but that's very rare. It takes a long time. I know for us, we've gone through awful people. Yeah, um, that are just not right fits, or they're criminals, or they're yeah. liars. <laughs> so you might say that you have a great team and they're the best. But you, what are you doing that's different in your hiring process or your training process that makes them also great?
1: I mean, we've gone through all of that too. So we Melissa says we have a great team. It's not without a lot of failures right. and a lot of kind of missteps. Mistakes. Yeah, and um, it's actually something that I beat myself up the most about is um, hiring the wrong person and taking them away from another potential opportunity. Um, and then not working out with us. So I would say the number one reason it doesn't work at JBC is they say they can't, you know, keep up. Um, We work at kind of a rapid pace and um, it's not for everybody and our approach isn't for everyone. So a lot of traditional publicists that just are really kind of focused on product, it's not the best fit for them so that it hasn't worked out. But the team that we do have, we just, we really ask the team that we have currently to interview them. So it's not just Melissa interviewing someone or me. Actually, Melissa doesn't, Really, let me interview people anymore? Um, <laughs> do you scare them? <laughs> I do, and um, they don't come. So um, we really we look to the team, even if it's someone junior interviewing someone senior and and managing up. They're usually the best people to evaluate if someone's going to be a good fit at this point. Um, because Melissa and I are only two people of a team of twenty six, so we have to kind of get everyone's take on someone at this point.
2: And something I I realized really early on that I didn't realize was going to be such a big part of this process was. Also, finding culture fit. Um, totally. I think early on, I was really just looking at what's your skill set. Are you going to be able to just competently do this job? But then having people join who culturally did not fit—it's so disruptive. Because especially in the beginning, we were such a small team. If there's a personality conflict, or unfortunately, someone who like you have to want to be a part of the JVC culture. You have to want to be active and a cheerleader, and it's it—you can't work in a silo, right? Um. So under realizing that really early on, it's, it's 50% having the skill set and 50% just having that kind of personality that we know will gel Yeah, um, is just as important. Was the culture
0: something that evolved over time or you two kind of said this is the type of culture we want to have? Because I know for us, it's shifted a lot. It was like a culture, then nothing, and then now we're trying to create it again.
1: It's, yeah. it's shifted. I mean, it's something we've been passionate about since day one because we have both worked in horrible jobs and places and agencies and we kind of looked at what everyone else was doing wrong and said how can we not replicate that so you know we have a huge emphasis of work versus play you know at the end of the day we're doing PR which should be super fun and rewarding and exciting but doesn't need to kind of filter into your personal life or after hours you know we try to do as much kind of philanthropic work as possible because that was something that I never had at other jobs so uh you know we work with God's love we deliver in the parks and we You know, did something with female founders this year. So we try to really remind people that this is just a job. It should be great. It should make you happy. It should make you feel fulfilled every day. But at the end of the day, you should be, you know, focusing on something bigger and something more. And that's something I did not have um, at my past jobs.
2: In the beginning, we when we were deciding to make our first hire, it was like this choice: like, do we just stay the two of us and just kind of do this forever? Or do we have bigger ambition and want to grow? And when we were making our first hire, we said we don't want to, everything that we've experienced in the past that was negative about work experiences, we never want to be that place of business. So, and we've messed up along the way and Mm. have become that for a minute and then course corrected. I think early on, I think we, I mean, we're so close, but we also kind of got so close with the early people when it was so tiny that it got too personal. And we weren't
1: very good at boundaries early Yeah, on. And it took oh, us. I had office you know, hours. Like if you want to cry, come talk to me. Oh, yeah. and I am over that. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, no we more knew, crying to me. We <laughs> knew I mean, about they, everyone's personal lives. Right. And it took and, us time to establish. Yeah, our boundaries. and it was okay
2: in the beginning, but once you hit a certain number of people, it's that's impossible. when you have to kind of separate that a little bit more. So learning that was, you know, again, something we didn't
1: anticipate, but as it was happening, we just kind of adjusted and course corrected. The best advice we have gotten about hiring people, because I would say it's it's been one of our bigger failures is making some poor decisions there, is um, especially in PR, is not to hire for specific positions, but just kind of keep the doors open and as people respond to what we're doing, bring them in. If there's not an open position, then find one for them because it is really hard to find great talent, especially in public relations. So, you know, now we're in a lucky enough place where people do email us their resumes and say, Listen, I saw, you know, the work you did with Parachute or Kuyana or recess, or I saw the conference you did with Rebecca Minkoff. I'd love to be a part of that. We might not have a specific position for that person. We're going to bring them in and find one. So uh, we've had to kind of shift away from these specific PR opportunities and really just keep our doors open all the time for just great talent. And that was when I think it shifted for us.
0: Right. What was the biggest... I guess the scariest thing you encountered when you said, okay, I'm leaving the comfort of someone else giving me a paycheck and I'm gonna go forth and partner with someone and figure out how to pay ourselves. Like, what was that process like?
2: For me, it, it was scary, but it it's odd because my boyfriend at the time, he's not my husband, he was like, we don't have kids. We don't have a mortgage. I can support you. Fi-. The biggest thing that you're afraid of is finances, is making sure you can pay your bills. And he said, just do it. And don't have any fear of the money thing and figure it out. And the weird thing about PR is when you're good and not to toot my own horn, but when people know that you're good at your job and you all of a sudden say you're available and like want to be doing something new, all of a sudden opportunity comes your way. Yeah. And that's even that's exactly how Jen and I reconnected because someone knew I was doing something different and and leaving my the comfort of my role and let her know. So while it was scary, it luckily. Worked out, you know, and I think you I think if you're not you have to leave yourself open to it and the opportunity and not feel that fear because I think that's going to that's when you start to limit yourself but yeah, I mean, I think it comes down as simple as like, I need to pay my bills if I'm going to do something different. Mine
1: (laughs) mine was different just because I'd been doing this for longer than Melissa. um, Significantly longer. (laughs) Um, Why is that, Jen? I know. And she's so much older than me. Um, (laughs) So for me, I just got to the point where I knew I couldn't do it anymore. I had had a lot of in-house jobs. I was the SVP at fashion companies and lifestyle brands, and I had started a PR division at an you had agency. a shoe thrown at your head. I had a shoe. Th- I did. Oh, I had yeah. a blackberry thrown at me at one point. So I just I was burnt out. And I just knew that I either had to shift my entire career or find a way to do PR differently. That was it. Um and I essentially said to myself, I saved up money and I said I'm gonna give myself six months to figure this out. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go get, you know, other another nine to five six job. months is
0: not a long time though.
1: That's what I that's financially what I could do at the time. I remember I just put together a plan. I'm very type A organized. And that was what I had um, in terms of paying my rent and everything. And so it just it worked. And I'm really, really lucky because I do know that I could not keep doing PR the way that it was being done in this industry. So can we talk about that? Because for people that aren't in New York or aren't in fashion or
0: in the world where they would need PR, what is the old way? And then what is the way that you've kind of reinvented it?
1: So The old way is very one-dimensional. You look at a product and you figure out how to get it photographed for a magazine or put on a website or talked about in a really interesting way. And it's very product-driven and it's really boring. We wanted to kind of focus more on the founders and the brand itself as a product. So people weren't looking at brands as products. They were looking at brands as just the overall company that was churning out the products. So that was the approach we kind of wanted to take. And with old school PR, it was you know, very generalized. So it's very formulaic. Yeah, and it was, it's kind of, you know, here's what we did and here everything's pending. And, you know, we're waiting to hear what this editor thinks. And we sent the following samples out and there was just no real ROI. You know, it was very hard to tell what you were actually paying for because you didn't see any type of conversion. And then all of a sudden with digital, that started shifting and you could start looking at analytics and say, all right, well, I'm paying my PR from this amount of money. They got this amount of hits, which led to this amount of conversions. So there is an actual ROI. And we saw that happening and we were like, how do we tap into that? How do we make it so that people aren't just writing a check to another agency every day and they get a long report and everything says pending and kind of made up bullshit UVMs? Um, What's
2: UVM? Unique visitors per month, which is the traffic a website will get, um, which is a number that's kind of arbitrary because it also depends on the time of day that you post, how long it lives on the homepage. So what we do is we take a much more data-driven approach to how we value what we're doing for our clients too. So not only, yes, we're sharing what that UVM is or what that traffic potential is, but we're putting some qualitative um, numbers around our press too. So we're looking at it like what was the tone of the article or the story? What was the share of voice? Were you the leading brand or the leading thought leader in that Was it a top tier outlet? So I think we take the way we look at press too and try to show the real value of it um, in a qualitative way, not just quantitative, because it actually is very hard for us to report quantitatively. It's actually on our brands that tell us, hey, we got that story in the New York Times and our traffic increased 300% that day. That's how we know outlets are sticky and they work. Because um, that also helps us adjust our strategies literally on a day-to-day basis, not a monthly basis, not a quarterly, on a day-to-day. And getting fed back that data is really important because if an outlet's not working for one brand but it works for another, we then try to understand, is it the industry or the market they're in? Was it the kind of story was so different that we need to be do deeper storytelling with that outlet for it to perform better? So we're thinking about this all the time, and I can guarantee traditional agencies are not and I think the brands that work with those agencies also sometimes don't want what we do and that's right. okay too I mean we have we work with a specific kind of brand who is on a really fast growth trajectory a lot of them are venture back so they have a lot of kpis to meet and PR is usually one of their biggest drivers and biggest investments for them to grow and their investors are looking at what PR is doing so we have to make sure we're looking at it through that lens too is how are we driving traffic? Are we creating thought leadership in this brand? Are they compa- are they the number one brand in their space, whether they are competing with incumbents or other startups? And if we can't say yes to a lot of those things, then we have to adjust our strategies really quickly. So we have been, the idea of being nimble is really important in what we do and the brands that we're working with specifically. So that's why it's different. I think the traditional way isn't abs- obsolete. I think it works for a certain yeah, kind of brand. And we're just doing something very different for the brands we want. I think what's so what was so good about what we're doing is it was those brands that we're working with were popping up five years ago and only had those traditional opportunities when it came to PR partners and realized they needed more. So it was more us evolving with the brands that were um, starting to pop up versus changing all of PR across the board um, because our... The way we do it is not for every brand, 100%. And also, yeah. they don't need it. They don't all need what we do. And
1: and by the way, we didn't figure this out until like year two, year 2.5. Yeah. In the, I mean, Melissa and I both come from very traditional fashion backgrounds. So we were used to that traditional approach and used to fashion, which can be a very traditional industry and one of the late adapters to this um, approach. And so in the beginning, that's what we did. We did what we knew. And it took us kind of meeting with these brands and and meeting with these people and meeting with editors to figure out how we needed to kind of um, transition into a different type of approach. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
2: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
0: So, I would love to touch on some of the harder parts of this, and each of you might have a different answer, but like, what has been some of the, of the most challenging or unexpected challenges or failures you've had along this journey?
2: Well, I'll do one personal and then one that's more focused on the business. So, personally, I am a very good publicist and a not very good manager. <laughs> so, and I'm the managing director in addition to being Jen's partner. So that's been a personal challenge for me is how do I become a better manager on a day-to-day? And- What um, what, what about managing? Like what's the part that I'm, you're not good at? I'm super impatient. I'm I want everything done in the blink of an eye. And I think I'm, because I'm so busy and I have a lot going on, I'm also super direct. And don't add the flowers and the hugs and kisses. I fucking hate the flowers. (laughs) I add the flowers sometimes. Really? Yeah, Yeah. Mm gens of flowers, which is nice. And I have to realize that some people are completely work well with my direct approach. And I know who they are. And some people need more of the flowers and hugs and kisses. And one thing I learned is that in one way, they have to all adjust to work for the way we need them to work. Because at the end of the day, we're the leadership. But we also, as managers, have to adjust for the way they best operate, too. So learning that has been very hard over five years. But I think I honestly think having a kid has made it all easier because it puts things into perspective. So um, I don't take it as seriously anymore. And I allow myself the freedom to adjust and to have a little bit more um, fluidity with people versus being so rigid. But that's personally been the hardest thing. But as far as the business in general, I think it goes again back to talent. And the biggest challenge has been finding the right people and feeling like a failure when we make a bad hire, because not only are we disrupting our team, we're disrupting our clients, we're also disrupting that person in their career. And, and it doesn't feel good. And we, I think we do a good job of trying to create um, the most seamless transitions in and out if that happens and protect as many people as we can, but it still feels doesn't feel great when we know we've created such a ripple effect by making a poor decision.
1: You? So on a personal level, I my biggest thing is I'm way too emotional when it comes to this, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it's been difficult because Melissa is very kind of steady and strong and I take everything very personally. I think because my name's on the door, I think it's a personal attack if someone doesn't want to work with us or someone doesn't want to work for us or if someone has a negative experience at our company, I cry myself to sleep. It kills me. Um, So I've been working on that um, because it's really not helping the situation to get that invested, but it is part of who I am. And I think it's part of what makes JBC, JBC are my emotions on a professional (laughs) level, on a professional level. I mean, there's been a lot of really hard things. Um, I feel that I haven't actually trusted my gut as many times as I wanted to, because we have a lot of voices in our ears. And in the beginning, there was a lot of men telling me kind of what to do. Before Melissa even really kind of was fully engaged and I was launching this business, I had a lot of, you know, my dad and my brother and business mentors, all men, um, kind of telling me how to do this. And I knew I wanted to do it differently. So it was about trusting my gut. And I didn't have that confidence in the beginning. And now I think I do. But that was, that was tricky is to be able to kind of developed this ecosystem of people that I could support and that I could turn to um, for advice. And a lot of that was about finding fellow female founders. Again, when I launched, I didn't have a mentor. I never really have. Unfortunately, I never had that boss who taught me everything I knew. And so it was about, you know, 15 years later saying, well, who's going to help me make these decisions? Who's going to help me find a great accountant for a small business? And who is going to tell me if this is the right brand to take on? And you know, luckily I found a business partner who really became the other half of my brain, but we've kind of developed this ecosystem of women that we can go to with those questions. In the beginning, we didn't have it. And I think you can kind of tell looking at our business, how it's changed when that kind of ecosystem was developed.
0: And how many other women are in this ecosystem of like people you reach out to?
1: I mean, over 20 to 30, including wow. you. I mean, there's there's just a lot of really amazing women at at different points in their career. So, you know, we have a very open conversation with our clients, you know, again, um, they may be launching a brand, but they may know something we don't. And so we're going to talk to them. I mean, one of the first things I did when I started this company was I was consulting for the skim and Danielle and Carly were younger than me and sitting on a couch and they had this idea and they've become, you know, two unbelievable, you know, sources of, Strength and advice for me, even though they're significantly younger. Even though you um, tell them to fix their hair. Yes, when, when even they're on though Charlie often <laughs> needs a blowout. Um, but I, I think that is so important. And I think, you know, it's something you do, but there's not enough of it. You know, with what you've created with Female Founders Collective, there is more of it. And I think people are getting um, more hip to it. But when we first launched five years ago, I mean, I felt like we were on our own little island. And if you looked at the other PR agencies out there, a good majority of them were run by kind of old white dudes. Yeah. And that was hard. There was only so many people that we could kind of look to for advice. So as
0: partners, I know you said you still like each other, but what happens when you don't agree?
1: I don't
2: know. How do you I work mean, it out? And, and it's <laughs> funny, or when people, you have a fight and no, he says do. sorry. We, it, Does anyone say sorry? It's me saying sorry. Oh, no, we it's, definitely say sorry. Jen more than me. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, <laughs> I would say nine times out of ten,
1: it's me being wrong, and then and I'm very quick to say I'm sorry, Melissa. Not so much. Um, but we we're like family now, and it just it flows really well. I mean, when we fight or get frustrated with each other, it blows over within 30 seconds because we're too busy to even think about it. Um, And and nothing is so
2: major that it needs to be anything longer than that. You know, It's it's just these quick interactions where like, I'm not into this brand, but you are, and then I fight for it. And she's like, but I'm really not into it. You know, I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It literally, the only way I can explain it is my relationship with my sister. It's the exact same way. Like if we if we don't agree on something, we butt heads and then it kind of just blows over and we move on. Because fundamentally, we have the same values about life, about relationships, about people, about the business. Like We have a really shared value system that informs almost everything we do. So we know ultimately we're always on the same page, even if in the minutiae, we might disagree on something. And right. I think
1: we both appreciate each other. I could never do this without her. And I, I hope she couldn't do this without oh, me. Um, no. <laughs> so I wouldn't. Yeah, You do all the things I don't want to yeah, do. That's true. That's a <laughs> um, good pairing. It yeah. is. And I, but I think having that level of appreciation for your business partner, you have to keep in back of your head all the time. So when right. she does something that maybe I don't agree with or frustrates me, I have to say, I, I would be lost without her. Right. So you have to kind of keep reminding yourself about that. Yeah. Um, and it does come back to the value system. I mean. Outside of the office, I think we would be super close friends as well, you know, yeah. which I think is really important when you're looking for a business partner.
0: So even though you want your staff to turn off after hours, do you ever turn off? Because it's taken me 15 years to figure out she how to does, turn I off. Don't.
1: I do. And I did that even
2: before I had a family Yeah. Um, because I cannot be as good at my job if I don't have rest right. and I don't have time with my family, with my friends even if I'm just watching bad TV, I know that about myself. And I've known that about myself for a long time. Am I looking at my phone almost all night? Yeah. But it actually doesn't even, it doesn't click or register and it doesn't, becomes an automatic thing that doesn't actually affect my rest in the sense that I'm recharging for the day. This is very
1: good at saying, let's talk about this I compartmentalize very easily. That's good. Yeah. I'm not. I mean, I don't sleep well. This filters into everything I do. I am 100% a workaholic. I went to Hawaii with my boyfriend a year ago, and he looked at me and said, you know, you've been working for the first three days we've been here. So it's difficult for me. Um, I would say I I tell her to sign off, (laughs) yeah,
2: and to take a rest because it'll always be there, and that's the whole point of having a partner too. Is it's all fine, right? You know, it it'll all be fine and all be here when you come back.
1: But we try not to put it on our staff. So you know, we always say, you know, try not to send emails after hours. Don't check Slack all night long. So if you're
0: working, who are you talking to? Each other. Okay.
1: (laughs) When I say I shut off at night,
2: I don't shut off from Jen. Like, that's a Mm 24-7. I think I talk to her more than... You talk to your husband. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's... I mean, I talk to a lot of people more than I talk to my (laughs) husband. Same. (laughs) I love Sean. But, no, I talk to her. We talk all day and all night. I mean, this is just as important as my family, just as important as my baby. This is our livelihood. It's also our passion. So it doesn't feel bad to be talking about it all the time but i do think it's important to have balance and we definitely have set like really specific restraints around like our team and how much they need to be working past 6:30 i mean i'm fine not hearing from them again until 9:30 the next day so they work really hard from the time they're in the door and the time they leave. So our expectations are not working all day.
0: So I have two last questions for each of you. What would our listeners be surprised to know about you? It can be personal. It can be professional. I sometimes will say something embarrassing. I was trying to think of something, but I'll, I'll keep thinking. But maybe you can...
1: I'm trying to think about something embarrassing about you. <laughs> I was like, well, what was her hair like when I first met her? Oh, God, have no, frizzy. And... No, no, you've, you've always had good hair. It doesn't um, have
0: to be embarrassing, but it does make people laugh.
1: Um, okay, so we actually do something in our office. When someone starts, we do two truths and a lie. And I will say the information we've gotten <laughs> out of our team, figuring out the crazy things they've done in their past life... Um, I usually use this one and I'll share it with the world, which is when I was a junior in high school, I was in a junior mafia video with Biggie Smalls and Lil' Kim.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Were you dancing?
1: I was. I was an extra in a high school party scene um, with my friends. And I hate saying that because now the people that do know me will go on YouTube and try to find it. And you can see me in a very tight turquoise top and frizzy hair. Love it. I'm going after this. But yeah, that's usually my, one of my, the truth that I use in that game and no one ever gets it because I'm like, you know, a dorky Jewish girl from Westchester. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, people who know me probably would not be surprised by this, but people who don't know me might be. Um, I competed in beauty pageants when I was in high school. Wow. Nice. And if I'm remembering correctly and I could be wrong, don't fact check me. I'm pretty sure I was third runner up in Miss Teen Connecticut.
1: And if I wasn't that's okay too, but I did do it and it was really but I don't fun. think there's one person who knows you that would be surprised by this. I'm surprised? Really? Yes.
0: I'm 100% I can see the like, determination that's yeah. like born and bred in pageant winner like to win, but the glamorous, yeah. like fake makeup, yeah, yeah. all mm-hmm. that like stuff. Yeah. No offense was, to pageant people. Yep. <laughs> and then um my other question is what is a piece of advice you'd love to leave our listeners with cuz they really take it to heart and it always kind of helps With motivation in whatever way.
2: It could be, again, personal or professional. Mine is super specific because this is something that drives me insane. I interview a lot of people. Girls, women, if you're in an interview and someone asks you what you want for a salary, don't say whatever number it is, but I'm flexible. Don't say that. You're not flexible. Know when you're walking into an interview what you want as a salary and stick to it and find the job that will pay you that because they will. I promise you, the
1: talent pool is very shallow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mine is the same thing. And we talk about this all day long. Women should not be afraid to speak about money. If you are at a current position and you do want a raise, don't be afraid to ask for it because your boss is not sitting around saying, hmm, who should I give extra money to? So we tell our team, when you feel that you are not being fairly compensated and you're going above and beyond, come in and demand more money. Because women right now, especially in our industry, For some reason, are still afraid to talk about it. I remember um, at one of my jobs in PR, I went in to speak to you know the CEO of a company, who was a man, and I said I'd like to ask for this much more money, and he said that's not how it's done here. When you're ready for more money, I'll give it to you, and it stuck in the back of my head. And I said I never want to run a place like that. I want to run a place where when people feel they should be making more money, they will come in and ask for it, and if it is due cause, then we'll give it to them. But even you know we do interviews all day long, and. Whenever you start having the money conversation, people start looking down and fidgeting and getting uncomfortable. And I want women to be more comfortable having those conversations and they should speak up and say, this is what I deserve and I'm not going to settle for less.
0: I love that. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was Jen and Melissa, the founders of JBC Communication, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. So I wanted to read some more reviews. This is one of my favorite parts. The next one is from 12345 JC review. Interesting name. Always relevant. Rebecca's podcast is always relevant if you are looking for business advice, professional development, or tips on how to thrive as a mother and woman. Ongoing content and special guests always keep me coming back for more. Her latest podcast featuring her mom was everything you needed to hear about raising strong kids, balancing your life, and being okay with who you are. Thank you, Rebecca. You've been my morning inspiration during my daily commute. More tips on professional development, career transitions in the late 30s to 40s, and parenting. Thank you in advance. You are so welcome.